We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. With nothing to discuss from the weekend's match, we look ahead to the FA Cup and see what's on the horizon in the Premier League and maybe in movie theaters near you. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Tim, because again, there's just nothing to discuss, took off. He's not here. He's at the AST. Uh, Maybe he'll come back with some juicy information so we have something to talk about next pod. Paul, because he is a hardworking and disciplined individual, is here. You can find him on Twitter at PositiveMyPants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Actually, we have so little to talk about. We just spent 10 minutes talking about Trump without even mentioning the football just to warm up. So anyway. Yeah, we did. And now my microphone is unclean. Anyway, uh, yeah, actually, it's obviously just the hijinks that I'm known for. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. (laughs) Did you know that? Uh, Lots and lots and lots to talk about. Uh, It was Arsenal uh, 1, John Moss 1, John Moss 1. He he kind of got himself involved. We'll talk about all that. Um, so let's get started. And Paul, I think we started well. We started brightly. I mean, we could do our usual. What about Giroud starting at striker? And what do you think of the Ramsey, uh, Ramsey, Shaka midfield? But before we get to those sort of macro arsenal issues that we've just gone over so much, there's a lot of incident in the game itself to get to. So let's take the refereeing decisions first let's start Jesus, there you're, yeah. you're getting right in there well and and so the first one is john moss not giving mustafi um the penalty and i think it's as clear a penalty as there is i mean if that's not a penalty i don't know what is but in your mind the failure to award the penalty there how much did that influence the game both in terms of the way the the crowd and the players were reacting to the referee and in terms of the the pattern of play um, so, I mean, it's really interesting because it's John Moss, but also Mustafi is running. It must be running directly towards the linesman. So uh, they both have great angles. Moss, I'm just looking at it here on arsenalist.com. Good man. Great. Um, and John Moss is a perfect angle from behind. And the linesman, it doesn't show up there, but, you know, from the angle he's running at, it's got to be straight at the linesman. Um, how how much does it change? I mean, I'd be tempted to say for all the soft issues you kind of hint at there to a degree. But actually, you know, it's kind of around the time we get the goal. I think it's like a couple of minutes before the goal. So in theory, it shouldn't have made a huge difference to the turn of the game. It just contrasts so substantially to the other big decisions that are given against us. So that would be my take on it. What, what's, what's your view of it? 
I mean, I guess given the fact that we scored not too long after, right, the, the failure yeah, it's like to two award minutes. the penalty. It, this I is 56 minutes uh, or, or thereabouts, and the goal is 58 minutes, if yeah, I remember right. I, I don't know that it influenced play so much, but I mean, I do think, you know, if we get that penalty and the goal or get that penalty, I mean, we, we do know that taking a lead, especially, you know, a two-goal lead against a team that has been sitting really deep, I mean, we had, what, 70% possession I think, and to be fair, actually, I guess that's not really accurate. They weren't sitting totally deep. I mean, they they did make some forays into our half, but I just think that... Yeah, in the first half in particular, I mean, they started... It was open. They pressed us in our half, and they they had the two up front, and they were playing well, but then they began to tire a bit from the pressing. and and they sank deeper and deeper. I I guess what I would say is this. There started to be this clear frustration developing i think with the referee and True. some of it came from the the failure to award the penalty some of it came from the failure to do what it seems a lot of referees in the premier league do which is control the match there were a lot of tackles and kicks that just elbows think, in the yeah, face should have been yellows they weren't given and it contributed to this general frustration with him and, and who knows i mean referees are human and maybe Shaka getting involved with DeFore and they were trying to sort it out themselves because the referee didn't really have a handle on the match. Maybe that leads to what happens later. Now, ultimately, the funny thing is you could say the, the person who had the bad game isn't so much Moss but the linesman because the linesman gets the offside wrong for our winner. I think he's the guy oh, who had the best view of the Mustafi uh, incident that wasn't given a penalty and he's probably the one who tells Moss to send off Shaka after conferring so the linesman may have been the the more involved uh, person when it comes to what happened on the day but but the next crucial decision obviously is the sending off and it, it you know changes the game not not the outcome ultimately because we wind up winning it it changes the game but we have to discuss this I think from two standpoints one is whether it was a sending off, and then two is what what we make of Shaka in response to that. So my first question, obviously, is do you think the red card was fair? Um, I'm a bit like this on these kinds of things and on offsides. He put himself in the zone of the red card. And if you look at replays, you know that thing where you see a replay from three angles and two of them you say, oh, that's a red card. And then the third one you say, oh, maybe not. That's a yellow card. And that's how I feel about this. It, to, you, you know, the referee is going to see it from one of those three angles, the linesman as well. Depending on what angle you see this from, there is one angle where it looks more like a one-footed tackle and doesn't seem to get so much of the player. But from most other angles, it looks like a red. So... Um, you know, people say it's inconsistent. I agree with that. Worst tackles have been ignored or forgiven. I agree with that. But Chaka put himself in the zone of a red card. And I'd say it's probably two to one on it's a red because it depends on the angle you see. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, is it the point simply that like, so So I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, well, this Rojo tackle wasn't given a red and this wasn't given a red and this wasn't given a red. I don't Shaka care gets a red. Well, in that, a way. Right. But, I mean, I, is is the fact that other in other matches rules haven't been applied properly a defense? Like, no, isn't, don't it, we want issues, lunges to, to be red cards, you know, off the ground, studs up yeah. lunges? Yeah, it's two issues. It's is this a red card by 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 normal standards and it's it's right in there as a, as a candidate first and th- there's the shouldn't refereeing be consistent and doesn't that penalize it when other people are getting away with this shit yes but those are two different things it's a bit like going back to the the chaka tackle um that got him his f- first red card was it was against swansea wasn't it mm-hmm. and uh you know th- it it would be I mean, that's a fucking crime because they've never called anybody else for it ever fucking ever. And yet everybody justified it at the time from that side of the house, from the refereeing community. See, see, I thought that was more harsh, Paul, because I think... That's what I mean. Right, well, but also because I think... You know, it's kind of like the court system in the United States, right? Like, there's there's statutory law, and then there's common law, right? So there's the laws as they're yeah. written, and then there's the laws as they're interpreted. Um, and then rich people get off because they've got Johnny Cochran, Bob Shapiro. Can, can we pl- can we please not go down F- this road anymore? F. Lee Bailey, all on their their. their oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah, and 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 so anyway, uh, Clarence Darrow, that guy, he got all those yeah. mon- monkeys off in that trial about evolution or whatever. Um, mm. But so, look the. 
the what I mean by that is that I think the first red Moss gave Shaka all those weeks or months ago was unfair because that's not how that rule is being applied broadly and probably not the way it should be applied because it's such a harsh punishment for an attenuated violation of the rule. But this one is off his feet, lunging in, studs up, kind of two-footed. Now, I think DeFore actually makes more of it than it is, and I don't think he makes a ton of contact. And I think it's interesting in that he starts with it being one foot in the air and the other's kind of bent more like a traditional slide tackle. But in the process of following through, he finishes with two feet forward and that gets him sent off. So then here's the question. If we both agree that we're okay with that being called a red, you know, Shaka has a tremendous uh, tackling record in the league. Actually, as much as I've criticized him for being a poor tackler, it's something like, you know, 90 plus tackles, with you know two reds in the league and I think one other card or something like that. I mean, so it's not like he's he's Lee Cattermole. Where do you come down on a the stupidity of what Shaka did and b how problematic you think this is? I mean, because no matter how we want to justify it, he has a history of picking up red cards. I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, I mean, the issue is the real issue is he's out of the team for four games. At a time at the worst time of the season for us, uh, mm-hmm. maybe the biggest game of the season coming up. Now you don't think about all of that going into a tackle, but you do think about it going into a game. You say, "I'm going to play within the zone." Now that might yeah, be hard. I, I to don't do. need to be picking up a red card against a team that has the worst away record in the league when we've got some bigger fish to fry coming up. And we're a goal up, mm-hmm. and well, we, the we, game we is killed, more in control. We killed yeah. Coughlin for his red card in the North London Derby last year yep. as being insanely I stupid. Yeah, I, did, I did, and I thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think in the interest of fairness, you got to kill Shockey here. Now, I do think this was insanely stupid and out of control. The question, though, is... Is she, you know, I saw some incredible reactions to the shock as a liability. He's a disappointment. And St- Tim Stillman, who is usually on this podcast, has said himself on Twitter he's underwhelmed with him. He expected more for $35 million. He should be more polished. How, how much? Nervous. Hey, this is great because, like, Tim did me in when I wasn't on the pod yeah, when I got we, off the pod him. last time. I've done you in when you weren't on it. Well, I do myself in, great. to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, All right, so so – Walk me through what you think of Shaka right now in the wake of this. I think he's really, really good. I kind of, There's a part of me that likes all of this, that likes his commitment, that likes his intensity. When he's a bit more mature, it's going to be an asset. I mean, he'll do this every now and then. But we've seen it with some of our best midfielders in our best teams. They do this kind of shit. He's just – I think he's an intelligent player. I think he's just a bit fucking young. Uh, I think he's been personally. I think he's been really, really good. Um, he was fantastic in this game before he was. He was. He, uh, he was. And more, more important than that, he was fantastic. And him and Ramsey were really, he really Ramsey to life. See, see, if you look at the pass map, Ramsey was able to get forward more. He was more advanced. He wasn't stuck in that sitting deep, you know, not sure how to get involved role. He really rampaged forward. And Shaka picked the ball up from the from the back, stitched things together. He got the ball to Ramsey in a more advanced position in midfield, and everything built from there. Shaka played eight of nine long balls accurately. He led the team in key passes from a deep position in midfield. He was 90% on completion, you know, despite sort of the, the high degree of difficulty. He played 67 passes, which is the second most behind only Ramsey, but let's not forget, unfortunately, he was only on the pitch for about 70 minutes. So, And he got back to cover when we were stretched to the back. Yep, absolutely. Uh, as a third center back into the box for covering tackles. And the and the important thing he was let us in tackles. And, by the way, you know, yeah, he was seventy minutes on the pitch, despite the fact that we were under the most pressure. After he was off, he still had the most tackles. He had an interception. I mean, he he was clean with the ball in the sense that, um, you know, he he was not dispossessed. He had no unsuccessful touches. He committed, you know, I mean, we, we know he got the red card, but 
realistically, I mean, he committed one foul, and it was the red card. So it, he was having a good game. And what I saw, Paul, and, I, and sorry, I'll turn it over to you again here in a second, but he, when the game is in front of him, when he's sitting a little deeper and he's not having to worry about huge swaths of pitch between him and the center backs, he can keep the game in front of him. He sees the, the options well. He passes well. He He's positionally very good when he's deeper. When he gets more advanced and he knows there's that huge amount of pitch between him and his own goal, that's when I think we see him take more risks, trip people up, pull people down, dive in when he loses the ball. He was way up the pitch when he lost possession, over the halfway line at least. He loses it, and and instead of dropping back and trying to chase back, he lunges in. Um, Maybe some of that is frustration, but I think some of that is he's not a guy who wants to turn and face his goal and run backwards. He wants to keep the game in front of him. And that might just be a, a systematic issue. I mean, he may need two midfielders in front of him so he can sit deep and link play. Um, do you think some of this is just system, or, or, or is this a guy who's got to learn better? This is a guy who's got to learn better. I think, look, I think he's a bit of a control freak. Um, you know, we, we all have a little joke about him handling the keys of the house when he was a kid and stuff. I, yep. I made a little joke of they gave him the keys, and then... 58 minutes later, he burned the house down in a gas fire. Um, but he was very careful with it up to that. So, But I do think he's a control freak. I don't think he – I think he doesn't like him when he fucks up and he tries to then get things back under control. I think, you know, he was overzealous running back for the Peno against uh, – that he gave away against Bournemouth. I know there's a bit pop psychology, but I think – He's what you want. He's a player who wants to run the midfield. Um, the worrying part of him is that sometimes his feet aren't as quick as they need to be. You know, you've compared him to Arteta, and I get that. But one of the things Arteta had was really quick feet in tight spots. And he doesn't have that. He's maybe a little bit the other end of the spectrum. I think there's that tension between a guy who wants to run the show, control the show, and sometimes the ball gets a little way away from him at his own feet, um, and he he overcompensates. I, you know, the the guy getting away from him at Swansea, he doesn't like being run past. He doesn't like fumbling the ball. And I think he, for a guy who wants to be in control and run the midfield, which is a good thing, I think he has to learn when wh- which vampires we fight and which vampires we flee. He's got to let a few of these go. Yeah. Well, he, he's. He's not Makalele, you know, or, you no. know, he's not Conte. He's not um, Francis Coughlin, certainly. He's, you know, he's not in that mold. Um, not that Conte or Coughlin are fit to lace Makalele's boots. That wasn't my point. But, I mean, you know, he's he's more Pirlo than Makalele, if you follow me. I mean, he's he's a guy with a wand for a left foot who can play every kind of pass from deep in midfield, carry the ball, and, and get it forward to the more advanced midfielders. And, and that's great, and I think he can stay in the positions he needs to to make interceptions and keep the game in front of him. You push him up over the halfway line, and we've even seen it with Coughlin a little bit this season, which is that once they're up in that advanced midfield position, if they lose the ball, you have to start making some really challenging decisions because it's that's how we, we get carved open. And I You just, do, uh, and I think that's a good point. I think... He is best passing from deep, and Arsenal needs to set up to accommodate that. That's where he's, you know, he's probably one of the best passers in the league from from deep, probably, you know, right up there with maybe a Fabregas. Um, I mean, just maybe he doesn't go for the killer pass as, as often as Fabregas does, but he's, you know, he's more a temper pl- tempo player. Uh, when Cochrane, you know, the Cochrane side of things, I agree with that, but... Cockland's been used to go up and take risks, so they kind of have a different risk reward uh, yeah. equation that they've been asked to to. But uh, so I think the real issue with Chaka um, is we need to be able to find a pairing that allows him to do his thing from deeper. And the sadness for me is that this looked like Chaka Ramsey had found that balance. Now you would well, say it's only Burnley, but it wasn't. No. No, it I think there was a lesson Bernie. here. 
I be, yeah. remember the the video you pointed me towards in the last podcast, the Rion Wall or Rion re, re, Wall, whatever. On oh Twitter, yeah. yeah. Uh, video and what he showed against Swansea is that in the first half they were playing the central midfield role symmetrically, right? They were both kind yeah. of sitting deep. They were both trying to play the same role, do some of the same things, and and we stagnated. And remember yeah. what he said is as the game progressed, Ramsey was able to get forward more. They took turns, one going, one staying. They yeah. learned their lesson from that game, and in this game. Shaka sat and Ramsey yep. went, and it worked. And you know, unfortunately, we won't see it for a minimum of four more games. But no. that that to me works. And what doesn't work is when he gets further up the pitch. It, it's it's a shame. Now, look, he he gets sent off. They get a penalty. Presumably, you have no problem with the penalty award. Cochran just takes a swing of the leg. It's just a yeah a it, rash I, moment. Yeah, Adrian Clark had a good bit on the breakdown. Uh, the problem stems from the throw-in. He where needs people to advertise take... on this podcast. Yeah, a bit more, than not he? Because it gets mentioned a lot, yeah. Because the problem stems from that and everything else is catch-up. They don't m- take their assignments. People aren't covered, and then they scramble. Yeah, Cochrane swings a leg. He didn't need to sling, swing, which again is a shame because I thought he'd been so bright when he came on. You know, he, he played in ways you don't expect – uh, that the average fan is not expecting to see when Cochrane comes on in that circumstance in that game, they think he's there to shore things up, and he's playing. You know, he's he's playing uh, out of tight corners on the touchline to keep the ball alive. He puts a ball over the top to uh, Ozil to set him free. He gets into the box and uh, probably has his best shot on target. Not a the, goal. The yes. move where we ultimately wind up winning the penalty. Yeah. Starts with a Cochrane interception that keeps the ball in the attack. Amen, third. brother. And, and look, Amen. I don't like Francis Cochrane. He's not my cup of tea. Ooh. He was good when he came on. And yep. a single moment of poor yeah. decision-making doesn't change that. And I think the same goes for Shaka. Shaka had a yep. single moment of bad decision-making in a game he was otherwise dominant. And Cochrane had a single moment of bad decision-making in a, a substitute appearance where he was otherwise excellent. And ultimately, it is in part responsible for us being in a position to get the the winner now the the uh, win- can i can i throw in a quick one what was significant wenger looked very very angry with chaka after the game he he doesn't like chaka <laughs> doesn't. no no i don't think no he lo- he loves chaka he hates this about chaka i think it's this stuff that had him being a bit conservative can what what's uh, changed though i mean when when we were the invincibles you had guys on that that team that got sent off all the time we were the most red carded i mean arsenal have, i think what the most red cards in premier league history or something like that you know since i know football yeah. didn't start in the premier league but so what what changed about arsenal i mean why the frustration in particular with shaka and and his red cards when he's had plenty of guys you know, down the years, who were excellent players who picked, who loved to pick up red cards. Because I think there was no need for this. This was, you know, I don't think he's a stupid player, but this was blind stupidity. And you know, Vieira had his his share of stupid cards, but they were stupid reds. But they were there was a kind of a a, a wily madness about it in terms of who winning Arsenal paints were. everything. Winning puts rose colored glasses on everything, right? I mean, like yeah, like. They were in the Invincibles, so we can say it was wily madness. I mean, was Shaka petu- is Shaka's problem petulance, um, or is his problem just laziness, for lack of a better way to put it? I think, I think his red cards come from an unwillingness to move his feet and and do the the work to stay in position. I don't think he's a violent player. I don't think this is a, a Charlie Adam guy who's out to hurt people. I think it's just. Poor technique and laziness in in the tackle. I think he's young. I think he's hot headed. I think he's a bit so of a. So you do think it's a, it was a little bit of reaction? Like he and DeFord had been going at it, and DeFord gets the ball off him, and he just has a a, a little go at him. And and now, you think there's some intent there? I, I think the DeFord thing happened so much earlier in the game that he had let that go. I think this is purely him being a bit red faced that he put in a stupid pass and he dives in to save it because. Because he's action man. Yeah, I think um, it's just stupidity. Anyway, all right. So he comes off, and the manager's frustrated. You know what I think is ironic is the manager being frustrated after the match about a player losing his control when the manager himself lost his control in the very same match. It is ironic, but the degree of it, you know, 
you, it's not the worst thing in the world for a manager to be getting irate, but losing Chaka for four games... Well, we may have lost the manager for four games, too. Now, there are some people that might say it's the best thing that could happen to us. But, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is the manager lost his control. He crossed yeah. the line, and he's going to be punished. He's going to be missing for a while. I see it, but I, I do think it's a different it's a different animal. Well, of course, because at the end of the day, managers are on the sideline and yep. <laughs> players are on the pitch. Um, all right, and, well, and the, and the subs know to let themselves on at seventy minutes. So yeah, I thought at at the back we did pretty well. I mean, Mustafi scores the goal; it's a great header. Um, I thought he and Koscielny were excellent uh, by and large. Check um, he doesn't get close. Well, he get, there, that's literally the opposite of true. He gets close to the penalty, but once again doesn't save it. I mean... Yeah. I think he, we're very harsh on check. He doesn't you know, save penalties, though. Like, So is that, is that a problem, or is that one of those things where you don't really expect your keeper to save penalties anyway? Yeah, I think we should stop giving away so, so many penalties. That, yeah, be that's less an idea. Problem then. Um, and I think, you know, we've got this thing about him getting beat kind of to his right and kind of near post and stuff. And, like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. There's a little bit of an issue there. But actually, most of them, I mean, you know, there probably wasn't much he was going to do about most of them. I think we've been, I don't know, I think we're a little harsh on Czech generally, and we are on that penalty. I think he's fantastic. Fantastic. I think he's been beaten a little bit too many times to his near post recently, and he doesn't save penalties. But you know what? The best way to keep... Yeah, otherwise, I, I, I have no complaints. Look... Keeper is a position us at the back. Keeper is a does. position that used to cost us points every season. Yep. So I don't need the keeper to win us points. I need him to not lose us points. That's sort of the the par, right? Par for yep. a keeper is he doesn't win you points, he doesn't lose you points. I think check wins us points. Maybe not, you know, the 12 that Terry was talking about when we yep. got him, but but a couple here and there. When you consider that Almunia would cost us 8, 10, 12 points a season, this is a huge improvement. Not to mention that where I think we really feel his impact is that he commands the box a little bit better than keepers we've had in the past, and that's made us not look like a complete clown car on set pieces. I know we've given up a lot of headed goals, but um, I don't think so much on set pieces. Now, Alexis takes the the penalty that we win in extra time, heart-stopping moments, Panenka's it. It's pretty much the last kick of the game. He wins the game, and the manager after the game makes a weird comment because he says... He wasn't our designated penalty taker. That was Giroud, but he scores, and that's what's important. Now, Giroud wasn't on the pitch at that time. And he didn't like the Penenka, basically. Why does the manager make that comment, though? Why is he, did he forget that Giroud was not on the pitch, or was he making the point that Sanchez wouldn't have been the penalty taker had Giroud been on? I mean, well, why? I what's do with wonder that it. Because yeah, he had been w- sent off by that point. Or no, yeah, he had not. I, no, the manager would still have been. No, of course, he was gone by then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do wonder if Alexis was even the second. Based on his tone, I wonder if Alexis was even the second Who would have penalty been ahead of taker. Him? I don't know. I can't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it had to be Alexis. But the tone. There, I mean, there's literally point. no one unless you think it's. No, Ozil had been, was off by then. Um, yeah. I mean, it could have been Ramsey. Maybe. So, it, but he also, had, you know, the question started with the Penenka. And maybe that was really what his being the bonnet was. He doesn't like fancy shit. And he certainly was making a point about the Penenka. He also doesn't like, and you should be quite supportive of the manager on this, you know, his issue with Chaka was, not that we want to open that up again, players going to ground in tackles. He doesn't want to see that, and he made that very clear. Um, So he had a couple of bees in his bonnet in terms of the choices players made uh, and the big moments. But he doesn't like Penenkas. He doesn't like stutter steps. He, He... you know, uh, here's what I think it is. He knows the stats, and the stats say, you know, hit it to the right, hit it to the left, hit it to the corners. He w- he doesn't want his players getting all fancy on him. But you know I do weird? think it I is weird. I can't remember seeing a Panenka saved. I mean, I know they're saved, but like, yeah. I feel like they don't. They always go in. Like, at least you're not going to miss. You know what I it, mean? It was absolutely the right choice. You yeah. know, at that point in the game, you know that. Keeper's going to try and save the day. If it were me and I were a talentless hack taking that penalty for Arsenal in the whatever it was, 98th minute, I'd Penenka it. Of course, the being a terrible poker player, the 
goalkeeper would have spotted three minute, three seconds before I made the run up. I was going to Penanka. Well, let me but, ask you this: Would your Penanka reach the goal line? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Alexis's did. I mean, people had gave him some grief about not hitting it high enough because that's where Penenkas should go. That or that's why where shots down the middle need to go. They need to be higher enough. But the Penenka either works or it doesn't. The keeper either gets sold on it or he doesn't. You can roll it down the middle for God's sake if you if you yeah you just want it high enough that if you know if he's tall and if his legs are on the ground and you know yeah. it doesn't bounce out. Look, he he takes it. He scores it. I mean, it's delicious. I, I think a guy who's won. You know, a major international tournament with the final penalty of of the final um, should be our first choice penalty taker, personally. But you can't really argue with Giroud's record there, anyway. Um, so, look, it's it's three points that I I tweeted afterwards. I don't think you can overstate the importance of these three points, and we'll we'll come to what the, the three points mean in a minute. But it, it does present us with a bit of an issue, and that is that with Shaka gone and Kazorla out and Jack on loan and El in. Uh, the African Cup of Nations, it looks like it's going to be Ramsey and Coughlin, at least for the near future. Now, Elneny may be back, depending on how Egypt does in its next game or two, but talk me through how we survive a Ramsey-Coughlin partnership. Right, right. Um, like, uh, I can see what you guys can see and why we should be scared to death of Coughlin and Ramsey. I think we all know what the issues are, right? Well, so, so let me do this. Let me just set out the, the case for the for the prosecution. Okay. Um, I think if you press that midfield, it's a d- disaster because neither is particularly good on the ball and neither is particularly great at um, releasing the ball quickly to beat a press. Either you know, Neither of them is going to dribble around the press and neither of them is going to play really cute, intricate passes, particularly, certainly not to one another. So I think if you're pressed, you're dead. I think... If you have a team that sits back, it, it maybe is less of a problem. But then the question becomes, who is that person who comes deeper to receive the ball off the, the back four and carry it forward? We've seen Ramsey try to play that role. It hasn't necessarily suited him. And if he does that, you're not going to stitch things together by getting it to Cockle. What worked so well, for example, in the Burnley game was Shaka coming deep, getting the ball, giving it to Ramsey to then advance it to people like Ozil and Awobi and so on. So... I don't see how you can build through the midfield. It's not a midfield that gives you control or possession, and if it's pressed, it's diabolical. So do you play long? Do you bring... Does Mustafi have to come more into midfield to be that linking player? Do you use Awobi as an extra midfielder? Do you go wide to the fullbacks and play up the wings with more natural wide players like Ox or Theo if he's back or Lucas? I mean, you you can't possibly think we can control midfield with, with Ramsey and Coughlin together. So how do we make it work? Okay, so here's the case for the defense. Um, we saw Coquelin Ramsey last year for four games, and it wasn't great. It went from bad to getting a little bit better. We lost to you. We lost three games. We drew one. The game we drew was the Spurs two-two. Uh, Coquelin red card. The the thing I'd say in their defense was they were both in a sense coming back. Um. And I think they were actually, you know, I went back and studied that pairing for the first half and the start of the second half when we still had both on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And after taking a lot of heat early on in that first half, they started to come into their own and find a way of playing together. Um, That made me think I wish I'd get to see them a few more games after that to see what it would become. Um, The issue here is they're not going to have a lot of time to build up pairing even if i'm right they're gonna to have to you know they're gonna have one maybe two games before they get to see uh chelsea will we play watford what well, we play southampton in the fa cup uh don't even know if they'd start there but we don't have much else so maybe they will start there and get a chance so chelsea might be the third game they play together uh, maybe they can get their shit together now back to the tactical aspects um you know if we're pressed, that means the other team's pushing up. The way to beat the there's a couple of ways to beat the press. Probably for us, it's playing more long balls. Mustafi was sensational with his balls over the top in this game. To, he, he, he always two is. To, he's he's just fantastic. Yeah, two to Ozil, one to Sanchez, uh, and a, some really nice distribution from the back. So that may be part of the answer. Um, uh, 
everybody else helping out sanchez ozil Iwobi dropping I mean, do, to do you have to, to help revert out. right i mean do you have to revert back to alexis up front and Iwobi on one wing and maybe a more natural wide player like theo or lucas but then sanchez can drop deeper into midfield Iwobi can come into midfield and you just have more of a cluster of players than in alexis Iwobi, ozil ramsey and Coughlin, who all can take up a role in linking play together in midfield i mean i know that makes you very narrow and compact and into those central spaces, but it does give you a measure of control in the center of the pitch. I think that's right. I think I'm not sure we're going to see it, but I do no, think Sanchez <laughs> Sanchez through the middle will mean more players dropping into midfield, more movement, more options. Um, I will say and- this: I I thought this was Giroud's worst game since coming back to starter. I know this starts to sound like a pet a pet project for me, a pet issue, and, and it is to some extent. Calvin Masterson on Twitter actually asked me to bring this up. On the podcast, Paul, I mean, he he really was a phantom for most of this game. And, you know, yeah, if you look at past maps, he, again, the yeah. forwards were essentially Ozil and Alexis. And I know past maps don't work like that, but he took, he, he, he had very few touches. He received the ball very little, very infrequently. Um, he he yeah. killed a few counterattacks that Shaq actually sprung. There was one where Shaq had played a sensational pass to Ozil, and we just didn't have that pace through the center of the pitch for him to give it to. I mean... We, we always kind of speculated that once he doesn't get a goal in a game, that might trigger the manager to go back. Was this co- combined with Shaq's red card and the change in personnel in midfield and the performance here, is is this the triggering event that maybe we do go back to Alexis up front? Well, the manager, if he was looking for a reason, could use this. Um, but I don't quite buy into that, the view that this was a bad game. It was certainly a quiet game for Giroud, and maybe that's enough to say... Uh, you know, if you're if you're not being used, then uh, you shouldn't be on the pitch. But you know, part of the issue here was um, Burnley been very organised at the back, um, and us having difficulty getting the ball into interesting places. But I do want to talk about something here because you can't talk about Giroud without talking about Alexis. Um, you know, my frustration with Alexis last year was I thought he was very. Uh, one note I thought he had a trick or two and that was about it and it was almost like teams had figured out Alexis on the left this year that's not the case um he does this thing and we see it a lot but but actually we see it an incredible amount he's now our crosser in chief you know we say we don't get in a lot of crosses into the box there's some truth to that we don't get in conventional crosses Alexis spent the whole game stepping on the ball, looking up, uh, picking out a man and putting the ball on his head. He did it an ungodly number of times. I, I don't know where I can find the stats for it. Well, he played two two accurate crosses in the match, attempted three. And Mesut Ozil played three accurate crosses in the match, attempted eight. No other yeah. player on the team on the day had an accurate cross. And I, I do think... I, you- I might have to debate with them what they mean by a cross in that. Because, you know, we're we're stuck with the stats. You know, I just watched the game and that's all I watched. It's fucking sensational how many times he picks it. He basically does that thing at stepping on the... Now, maybe they're counting them as things I'm seeing as crosses, as passes. But these dinked shots, he's doing it all, all game long. And the Giroud-Alexis thing allows him to do it. And he's picking it out for... You know, there, there's that... Uh, I'll name a couple of them. I wrote them down. There's... Um, Alexis to Giroud to Ramsey and the Scorpion kicked it, at, attempt as one. Then there's Alexis uh, to, to, to Ozil, heads down, Giroud cleans up. Yeah, there's Alexis to Giroud, uh, Montreal. Uh, oh, sorry, you're it, talking in this game. In this game, Sorry, yeah. I thought you meant for, for goals that were created, right, because because against Swansea where Giroud scored the goal, it was an Alexis cross to Ozil header. Yeah, it's it's become an absolute feature of our play where Alexis sets up camp on, on the edge, kind of that far corner of the box, looks to decide who he's going to chip it into. It's not a and, true wide position, right? It's sort of right on the edge of the box. It's not all the way yeah, on the flank. But I don't but know I'd rather Alexis be getting on the on the end of things. And I think he, he is, but he did. Hang on, he, he, he still is. does. He's t- he he had two curlers. He had one just past the right post. He had one over the top. He's yeah, in around. He should have scored that. Yeah. He, and it's I've said this if you remember every game recently. It's not that he's not having the chances. Um, 
so can I make a point I'm, just really I'm quickly, so Paul? I'm so far less frustrated with our setup than we were last year. And I think we yeah. merged the two together. I can see why we want Alexis to start. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying the difference between, even for those who love Alexis as a starter, it's not like last year. That's not our choice. This is much, much better. Alexis is much more integral to the game. In, in Last year, he would have tried to beat a guy from the right. He'd have two guys on him. He'd get tackled. He'd lose the ball. And I'd be pulling my hair out. And I'd feel he was being very selfish about his game. Now he spends, you know, one out of two moves is him stepping on the ball and having a look. look how did we score the goal? It's a rolled corner to him. He effectively steps on the ball, picks out Koscielny at the far post. I mean, is that not a cross? I mean, I've listed three successful crosses already. I mean, there were like fucking 10. Okay, well, ultimately what we're not doing, and, and look, let's face it, with no Bellerin, with Gabriel playing as a fullback, and no Theo, and instead Iwobi playing as the right wing, Iwobi played most of the time on the, the right half space or central space, and, and Gabriel rarely overlapped him. So you're yeah. not going to get anything coming from the right wing um, in terms of in terms of uh, wide play that's going to lead to Giroud being able to get on the end of moves. I think certainly with no Hector Bellerin and no wide player, like you are limiting the extent to which Giroud can do what he does best. Let's face it, Olivier Giroud's best quality is winning the ball in the air. He has yep. some other good qualities. I'm not saying it's his only one, but winning the ball in the air is what he does best. And the one thing I will tell you is if you look at every single forward in world football who is world-class or excellent or whatever you want to call them, the one thing they all have in common, they shoot a lot. Good strikers shoot a lot. And so, you know, that's what you want to see. Is your is your striker getting getting chances? Is he, is he shooting? You know, how many shots is he getting off per game? And, I mean, you look at, at Giroud in this game, and he had two shots, none on target. I mean, Alexis had eight shots, three on target. Ozil had three, one on target. Ramsey had four, none on target. Lauren Koscielny, two shots, one on target. When your center forward plays 86 minutes and has two shots and none on target, those other things he's doing aren't irrelevant. But I, I still believe, Paul, that like... But, but, but how many but, shots did our Arsenal have on target, which is all that really I, I fucking know, matters. No, I, I get it. So, but, so, but again... But, but when you paint it in a binary, this player's number of shots versus another player's, that's not what matters. How does the team how play? How the team and, perform? I know, but let, let me give and, you the counterpoint just quickly. I think this is close. I think this is close. This was a really good performance. I liked our first half. We were quiet. We weren't getting enough penetration into the most dangerous areas, but we were ramping it up. Uh, but the suggestion that if, if Alexis was at center forward and Giroud wasn't, that Alexis might get more shots, but the team wouldn't. I don't think that holds up to scrutiny is my point. Yeah, but remember, my point isn't that I don't prefer Alexis. That, okay, fair, fair point. You're just saying Jude's uh, not shit. <laughs> uh, I'm saying this is much closer than last year. This is much better, much, much better than the Giroud-Alexis scenario we had li last year. This is substantially different. And one major piece of it is the number of fucking crosses. It, it, what he does is astounding me. I haven't seen a competent on. Maybe he was doing it last year and previous years and I didn't notice. Maybe other players do this. I haven't seen anybody do what he does in this game and many, many games. That thing where he steps on the ball, looks at his marker and decides, will he roll it? Will he attack the guy or will he cross? And he was fucking banging in crosses all game long. Well, he's just playing at a different level in general. He's, right? I mean, yeah. And we whether he's at center forward or, or playing, left wing. Yeah, we associate that with him playing at center forward. He's now doing that from the wing. And that's why I don't hate Giroud. I prefer Alexis as striker. I don't hate Giroud as striker because it hasn't shut down Alexis. He's just opened his game up. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, I do think that Giroud. When it is fair if a player is scoring every single game you play them, that you keep playing them. I mean, regardless of whether I think it's the best choice for a team, it's defensible. I think now that he's had a game where he didn't score and he wasn't particularly involved, the question becomes, do we have other options? And I know with Theo not there, he may have felt that this is his best front three. Um, I still think it's a shame that Lucas doesn't get a look in, but it's pretty clear, and I think you have to acknowledge at this point, that he's some way off being in the manager's plans, at least in the league. We'll see against Southampton, the FA Cup, if he gets into the side. But it's all going to be really interesting now because, I mean, Bellerin is back. 
which is good. He got on the pitch in this game, and and we do need him back. He he adds a lot to our not just our defensive solidity, but but to our attack. Um, I think we are in a really weird position with central midfielders right now. I mean, just out of curiosity, Paul, if something were to happen to Ramsey or Coughlin, and and let's say Elneny wasn't back, who's on deck? Who's who's uh, up next? My radical pick Iwobi? would be Iwobi. Yeah, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, it's that or Maybe it's like it's Maitland Niles or something. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I mean, fingers crossed, nothing happens because it would be just like us to, you know, win this game and have it be a totally pyrrhic victory. In that losing Shaka for four games means we drop some points, we lose to Chelsea, and and we're you know we're right back where we would have been anyway. Um, so are people going to go apeshit if we pick the two of them for midfield and risk them? You know, we got some of that flack for playing for, for the FA Cup. Somebody else. You yeah. mean for the? No, I don't. I think look. We're we're not playing every three days right now. Um, I think you yeah. can. I think Southampton away is a very very difficult match. Um, and and we've got to go for it. Well, we've got to go for it. Look, you you lose and you're out. And then the other thing is, Paul, um, there's it's not like there's an El Nenny who he could play where you could say, well, I should have used El Nenny, or there's a Jack Wilshire, or there's a Ramsey on the bench or something. This is a case where these are the only two. So no, I I don't think there's a problem there. Let me ask you this in in and the context. And they need to bed in. In the context of the season, how important do you think these three points are and may prove to be? Massive. Massive. I think I think we were dead. I mean, it's amazing to be – we are in a kind of a must-win section of the season. Well, but, I mean, but do you know what I think changes that, Paul? It's the results from this weekend, right, where Spurs and City drop points and United drop points and Liverpool lose – to not take advantage of that at home to the worst away team in the league would have felt – just devastating, yeah. And winning it to be able in the in one weekend to gain two points on United, two points on City, two points on Spurs, and three points on Pool uh, Liverpool, and to be in second at the end of the weekend. I think with, that, with that's the last massive. minute winner in the eighty eighth or ninety eighth yeah, minute, emotionally it changes everything. Effectively, a, a fight back with ten men. I mean, it's massive for psychology. Um, to be fair, you know, we played six games in a row that we all said were highly winnable. I think Tim spotted 16 points out of 18 as being a reasonable and good good uh, result from that. And that's what we got. Um, you know, the Bournemouth result was disappointing. But I think when you take the six games in a row, that's about right. But the downside of that and reason this weekend was massive was because it was our easy stretch <laughs> and and it gets tougher from here on in and it gets tougher real quick. So these were, you know, these were res- results. These three points were absolutely essential. We're eight points behind Chelsea going into play Chelsea. You don't want to be, you know, 11 points or 10 points behind Chelsea. Well, also, uh, uh, in, in second place and where we are, it can at least psychologically feel a little yep. like a title challenge as opposed to, you know, sitting fourth or fifth and feeling like it's a scrap for, for top four. I mean, the, yep. the, the, you know, analytics community has us at 82% to finish top four now and second mm-hmm. best chance to overhaul Chelsea at something, you know, ridiculous like 14% or something. But moral of the story is you're looking you're looking up to first instead of, you know, back to fourth. And I think yeah. that has a psychological impact. I, I was going to try to bring up issues on this particular podcast about like the, the mood at the Emirates, just how the atmosphere seemed pretty quiet for large stretches and, and the question of the, the banner, which I, I think is pretty funny, but some people don't see it that way. But given that Tim, who is the only one of us who goes to the matches isn't here, I think we can best leave that for another uh, podcast. Um, I, I just think it it feels like a relief. I, you know, I mean, it was a euphoric victory, but then you come away with it just feeling like relief because going into Sunday with the results that had preceded it, you really had this okay, just don't fuck it up, Arsenal feeling, and it it looked like we had fucked it up, and we didn't. I mean, the manager has to answer. We'll see. Um, we'll see what the discipline is there, but it's FA Cup next, and I think it's a really tough challenge. And I, you know, I I always hate to see us go out of the FA Cup, but. To be fair, it, it feels like a break from the stress of the Premier League right now. So maybe the players will play with a little freedom in that respect. And, you know, interestingly, Paul, I actually thought for the first 30, 45 minutes or so, this was some of the best football we'd played in a little while. 
the skills, uh, we kind of wrote off that first half when I looked back to Twitter and, and other commentary I saw. But watch it again. My God, the skills in the first half are just, it's a collector's item. The stuff that goes on the balls over the top, uh, Ramsey, oh, we playing beautiful flicks, football. control, Ozil's one-touch passing at times. You know, we haven't talked too much about Ozil. I thought S- Sanchez was just extraordinary in this game, what he did. I think he's been brilliant but, the whole season. He has taken his game to an absolutely new level. Yeah, but Ozil... You know, I'm like, oh, now he's really back. He was just all over the place, knitting it together. Subtle, clever touches. He was fucking great. He just had one great. burst to, to beat someone to the ball on the left wing. I can't remember when it was, but I, I think that's an underrated part of his game, too, is when he has to yeah. chase a ball down. He, I think he's faster than Alexis, for example. But yeah. right, well, look. And his, his pressing late in the second half when we were, when we were under the gun, I mean, he's really very bad. Really back. It, it shows you, I think, how worn out he was mm-hmm. at his low point against City uh, and what a refreshed Ozil looks like and what he can give you. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the manager picks uh, for the FA Cup. I, I just, my hope now is that we find a way to play and we find an 11 to pick that gets the most out of having Sha- uh, uh, Ramsey and Coughlin in midfield. And I guess my other hope, and we don't have to get into a discussion on this, we can leave it here, but. I just hope the manager doesn't go into that. You know, we've seen the manager freeze players out at times. We saw him do it to Theo Walcott uh, after the contract dispute. Um, we've seen players fall out of favor with him pretty quickly. And where it goes from there, I mean, it happened with Gervinho, for example. The manager was reluctant to use Shacker early on. And once he, he turned him loose, he gave him a big run in the side. But, you know, Tim mentioned on the previous podcast that he thought there was an outside chance that when Coughlin was back, it would be Ramsey and Coughlin instead of Shaka. I'm a little worry now that the manager may hesitate to trust Shaka again, which would be a shame. Um, uh, I think he will He will be reserved. He's not going to freeze out Shaka. Um, well, he, here's the interesting thing, he will be re- Southampton beat Norwich in, in their FA Cup replay, then the yeah. game after Chelsea... Um, or the, the 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 first game that Shaka would be eligible to be picked again would be Liverpool away. And it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see if the manager throws him right back into the firing line. I imagine some of that will depend on how we perform without him at Chelsea. But yep. um, l- let's leave it there. I think that that's a good amount of time for just the two of us, and we'll come back after the FA Cup. We'll let Tim have a crack at some of this uh, Shaka talk because he hates Shaka, and I want to hear why. Um, but, uh, yeah, and maybe we'll get some feedback from him on the AST as well. He's going to an AST meeting. Uh, as we record this. Mm-hmm. Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Please give us five star reviews. Even if you hate the podcast, give us five star reviews. You can think of it as like charity. You can write it off in your taxes. Uh, tell them I told you that. And then just write nasty stuff in the in the comments below. In any event, uh, we will be back after the FA Cup tie at uh, Southampton. Until then, have a great week. Uh, we'll see what happens to Arson Wenger. So uh, hashtag pray for Arson, and we'll talk to you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.